We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And we're here looking at what was a pretty wild week three across the AFC East. Yeah. <sighs> These podcasts are hard, Chris. This is one of the most difficult <laughs> nights of podcasting that I, for at least me personally, that we've had to do in the last seven years that we've been doing this. Well, I don't know because the, the, the week that the Patriots took the division from us before it, it just felt different, right? No, no, I hate losing to Miami. <laughs> like, and it hasn't happened. Yeah, well, it hasn't happened, like. Perfect example, Christmas Eve, we have, what, 10 on the field, and Jay Ajayi just torches us down the field. Remember that? Oh, that was the game that Potter and I left the game early because we looked at each other, and you kind of in the stadium just had that feeling like you knew. Well, it was Christmas Eve, so I was going to my cousins after. I think I might have drove separately, but I was going to my cousins who who happens to live in Orchard Park after the game, and so you guys you guys left, and I don't think you guys were there for it. But that losing that game to Miami, that's that's you know whatever because we're out of the playoffs like they're out of the they were probably out of the playoffs too like it meant nothing this loss to miami on sunday we're both good that was they handed us our first loss of the season i was still visibly upset to my girlfriend on monday evening she was like she noticed it she's like you don't look right i'm like yeah we lost to miami <laughs> Uh, it's unco- it's an uncomfortable place since we started this podcast not to be at the top. But hey, 
the the bill comes due, right? The bill comes due for all of us, and I think everybody in the AFC East is finding that out in one way or another tonight. So that's that's kind of the theme of tonight is chickens coming home to roost. Uh, we're going to talk about it with all three teams, and as always, we start with the basement, which is technically isn't it still the New England Patriots? And so we start at the bottom of the division in the basement. Here with us is Mr. Mark Schofield, whose Patriots lost to the Ravens 37-26. Mark, how you feeling tonight? Like hot garbage. <laughs> like, I mean, and I said that when I came in here. I mean, it's it's unfortunate because watching that game Sunday, rewatching it today before the show, it's like for two plus quarters, I was like, this is the Mac Jones I've been waiting for. This is the guy. Like, he looks pretty good. This could work. And then I don't know if a switch got flipped. I don't know if something happened. I don't know if Matt Patricia started calling, you know, different plays. And he threw two disastrous picks and they end up losing, you know, by 11. He threw third pick at the end of the game. Now he's hurt, gets carted off Paul Pierce style. Don't know if he's going to be back anytime soon. It's, it's, it's rough right now. It's rough, and I don't see an end game to the roughness. So how am I doing? Not great, kids. Not great. <laughs> so with the – let's talk a little bit before we get to the inevitable quarterback conversation. Let's start with the offense because, to your point, things were moving. You guys were moving the football. I'm looking at Devontae Parker is all of a sudden a functional NFL downfield threat. I'm going, look at this. The Patriots have something. They found some wrinkle. What is it about their offense in that early stanza that you saw that makes you think like, like, like what, what were they operating out of in those instances where they had that downfield success? Or was it a specific play type? Or was it just Mac Jones having the willingness to challenge tight windows? I mean, a, a couple of them were good examples of Jones. You know, the, the first completion, it went for like 31 yards. You know, you've got a four-man concept basically to the right side, and he comes off it, throws the backside dig, and it's like, hey, this is what all the football nerds were talking about last year, the backside dig in the too-high world that we're living in. Hit that backside dig as your third or fourth option. This is great. Then he had the two nine balls along the left sideline where he's just gripping it and ripping it. You know, one was actually, you know, he threw it over the top of the defender, the second one, like a couple of plays later. It might have even been the next play. It was the next passing attempt. Throws a back shoulder, gets it in there with velocity. So you're seeing – working through reads, working through progressions, being aggressive with the downfield passing game, showing a little bit of velocity, which Patriots fans were sort of clamoring for. And so you see this and it's like, now we're cooking with gas here. Like this offense could be a functional, even downfield passing game. But then I don't know if it was an instance of Jones sort of just locking in because he certainly on what the interception of the end zone certainly just locked in. Like, he, he wasn't even calling the cadence yet, and he's staring at number one. Like, this is where I'm going, Paul. And yeah. so you don't know what sort of happened there. But, I mean, it was a mix of aggression downfield, taking the two-shot plays along the left side, the digs and the stuff like that that he was doing. That's what was working, and I think they just sort of started pressing as second quarter became third quarter became fourth quarter. Now, is that something of an indictment? Because we've talked every week with Christian Simonelli about this – concept that the play calling is kind of this Politburo where nobody really knows who's in charge of what. Like Matt Patricia's the guy, but also who's in his ear, 
who's telling him what to do, who's overriding him or giving him like, hey, in this type of scenario, I want you to do this. Is Bill really in charge of this? Like, it's kind of it's murky. Right. So, yeah, in that way, when we look at this and you see a team that starts hot and then just for whatever reason cools off and can't seem to find the mojo again, is this just another indictment that maybe the Patriots philosophy of uh, the way they built their offensive staff (laughs) from a coaching perspective, maybe there needs to be more tinkering as the season goes on? You know, I'm sure that's going to be part of what they're doing over the next couple of weeks. I mean, this is. You know, we're kind of playing into the Belichick, like take the first four weeks and figure it out. Well, here we are. It's week four. Like time to make sure we've got everything ironed out. Now you might be doing it with a backup quarterback. I, I think what what's interesting, I believe it's Josh Cohen who works for CBS does, you know, he does during games on the broadcast, like some of the X's and O's and the diagrams and stuff. And he always watches film throughout the week and breaks stuff down on Twitter. And he was asking, you know, did Patricia ever just get like lit up when he was a coach in New England on like crossers and mesh and shallow cross and in breaking routes? And it's like, yeah, watch Super Bowl 52. Like that's the Eagles just gashed New England to death on in breakers, shallows, crossers, mesh. That's a lot of what they're calling right now. And, and so you wonder if that sort of background and influence is really what's going into their game plan right now. Also, I think those kind of concepts and routes fit well with Matt Jones, and then you give him some isolated stuff along the sideline. But ultimately, Belichick is the guy that's the ultimate decision maker. Now, whether he's signing off on just game script and you know game plans, or if he's literally in the headset saying, you know, we should run like you know zap to X right, you know Bronco five fifty five a shoot like that, we don't know. And we'll, we'll probably never know that part of it. So how much like in the moment influence he has remains to be seen. But he's told us, I'm the ultimate decision maker. Like I am the ultimate. We're going to have a lot of voices, but it's my show. We see the results. Now, here's the crazy thing. I see some statistics because there's Bill's fans, obviously, right now who are celebrating all of this conversation. Of course. There are still some statistics that show that the in-game coaching, the decision making, the situational coaching – Special teams ability. All of this stuff is still there. These things that used to be the staples of what the Patriots were. The Patriots right now are top five in average opponent drive start. So they're leaving their opponents regularly at a disadvantage as to where they're starting their drives. They're ninth in the NFL in their own starting field position. They are the eighth best in the NFL in time of possession. You're looking at traits that you usually see among some of the more dominant teams in football. And then you turn around and you pair that with two touchdown passes to five interceptions from your quarterback with two of those interceptions coming in the red zone, which are always those hurt a little bit more than your average interception because it's like, hey, we could have gotten something here. And instead, we came up empty. And a team that had to scrap out its singular win that basically on the bones of its defense, but on the work of its defense against a middling Steelers team. Situationally, it seems like the Patriots are still solid and coaching overall is still very solid, but overall they're, it almost feels like a talent deficiency on offense has finally caught up with them. Would you agree with that? I mean, I think there's certainly that potential. I mean, I think saying that this is a solid team is fair, but look around. Solid won't get it done in the AFC this year. And certainly I don't think it gets it done in the AFC East because solid is what? 
10 and 7, 9 and 8. Look around. Look at Buffalo. Look at the way Miami's gotten off to a start. And so, you know, ultimately, can they improve from here? Perhaps. But I think some of the talent deficiencies and some of the roster decisions and the, the things that they have done from a roster construction standpoint have sort of come home to roost, you know. Well, and that was kind of the theme of the show. All the weapons they need in place around the young quarterback. Like, well, yeah. And that's I mean, it. That's kind of the theme of tonight's show is everybody having their chickens come home to roost. For the Bills, it's been injuries. For the Bills, yeah. it's like, hey, you've been spoiled with five years of no injuries. Guess what? Here they all are at once. Fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah. and, and there's nothing you can do about it except try to navigate it. Now, luckily, we have a quarterback that can kind of help get us over the hump because he's so talented. Your chickens are coming home to roost in the sense that the offense, you guys didn't haven't done a great job over the last few years investing in just in terms of investing draft capital and free agency. You could debate Hunter Henry is a very good player, Hunter Henry. But then the John o. Smith signing almost kind of I don't know how you weigh all that. But that's the chickens coming home to roost, I believe. And now the problem is, is that you guys have to try to find ways to win without a starting quarterback that you drafted a year ago. You're going to have to go to the well and see what's out there. Now, the question is, what comes next with Max Sidelined? I mean, if you had to handicap the options, because I've heard everything so far this week from Brian Hoyer, which seems to make the most sense considering he's got the most experience, to re-signing Cam Newton, to trading for it's like what are you talking about what they're not giving up draft capital to go get a quarterback for a couple no, weeks i mean in, in all likelihood this is going to be a situation where we'll see brian hoyer this week and maybe the week after and they're going to hope that they can get mac jones back by say mid-october i mean i don't envision them like i don't envision a cam newton move you know, at all like that ship. Bailey Zappi. Do, do you think that there's no, what do you think the odds are that they trust him enough at this point? Because Belichick seems to rule with an iron fist and I just don't see him. Putting I, I don't see that. I think they would go to Zappi if ultimately they decide that Jones has to have surgery and he can't come back this year. You know, that tightrope surgery, you know, for the high ankle sprain. Sometimes it's a quicker recovery. Sometimes it's not. And so it might be – I've always been of the mind that if it's a couple of games and you have that veteran option, like stay afloat with the veteran option, try to, you know, get through it, bring your starter back. If we get to, say, you know, October, mid-October or something like that, and they decide that they just have to do the surgery and they're going to have to shut down Mac Jones, at that point you know what the season is. Like the season has kind of drifted away from you. Then maybe you just say, look, let's see what Bailey Zappi can do. Give him a good evaluation. See what we have in this kid. Maybe you decide that you see enough from him that he's now your backup next year when Mac Jones comes back. But I think absent that kind of scenario, it's going to be Brian Hoyer for this Packers game, and it's going to be Brian Hoyer for the Lions game, and then we'll see what happens from there. That can't have anybody in New England feeling good. No, I mean, it's not great. I mean, I think – You know, people have that memory of two seasons ago, right, where they were going to play the Chiefs and they had to move the game because of COVID and Cam and it was a strange situation. And they like flew out that morning for a Monday night game, which they never would have done. And he didn't play great in that game, but that was an extreme set of circumstances. You know, he's going to have all the first team reps this week. Jones didn't practice today on Wednesday. 
can't imagine he'll be practicing Thursday because I don't, th- I don't think he's going to be an option for them this week. So it's going to be a different situation. I mean, you're hoping it's a don't turn the ball over, don't make a bunch of mistakes, try to win some kind of rock fight against the Packers who want to rock fight themselves last week against the Buccaneers. Yes. I mean, taking yes. a step back, absent some teams in the league right now, who's really good in the <laughs> NFL right now? I mean, and that might be enough. The fact that, you know, Rodgers, say what you want about Aaron Rodgers, his average, his intended air yards per throw this year is 5.1 yards, which is lowest in the league, according to the NFL Next Gen State. Jesus. What? Yeah. yeah. That's wild. Because they're struggling to push the ball downfield. He's struggling to get the same page on, on the same page with, you know, Romeo Dobbs and, and Christian Watson. A lot of new faces. game against Tampa Bay. A lot of but, new faces. Tampa Bay. But yeah, they, they're working in some new faces, you know, and so, you know, maybe there's a shot with Hoyer with a full week under his belt and in a situation that isn't like the last time he started that they can pull something strange out of their hat this Sunday, but it's getting late early. And, you know, you look at their schedule coming up to the bye. You got Green Bay looks to be a tough game. Detroit's a feisty team. Cleveland's suddenly a feisty team. Like they're playing pretty well with Brissett. You have those bears and jets games, and then you get the Colts. Like, it's a tough little slate of games here, especially if you're doing it with a backup quarterback. I don't envy the position you're in. I just got one final quick question before we let you go. Uh, any chance you guys want to trade us Isaiah Wynn? Because I, I, I mean, if you guys are, if he's still available. <laughs> I mean, he might be available, but can we get Stephon Diggs in return? Then yeah, uh, sure. Absolutely. Our offensive line is a mess right now. I just love the fact that those trade rumors even came around. Like that's yeah. wild to me. But then again, I mean, we ship off Justin Heron and you go, wait a minute, what? Yeah. I mean, look, the, the NFL, you're seeing a few more trades. I mean, I, I forget the reason and exactly. I remember reading an article last year why we're seeing more trades in the NFL. You know, I, I, I don't know what the thesis behind that argument was, but we are seeing some more trades. You know, like I said, or if it, Gabriel Davis or, you know, even Isaiah McKenzie, like, like can you, can you, Cromwell, like uh, anybody that can catch a pass for us? <laughs> sure. You can have Isaiah win. I guess my question is, so Justin Heron, with that trade, what happened? Why did that, why, why was that made? I, that's one of those trades where you're just kind of like, maybe you owe somebody a favor. Like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it just seems weird that in a season where, okay, now we have to run the ball. More than ever, we need to run the football. We're actually getting rid of functioning NFL experienced linemen. It's just strange to me. But there again, everything's strange about the Patriots. And it's funny to Extremely. me. Extremely. And I think that if, Chris, if we really want to hit, hit this on the head, we're talking about chickens coming home to roost. Life without Tom Brady is a cold bitch. It is a, it's, it's not great. It's a cold bitch when you go from a first ballot Hall of Famer to whatever the hell else exists out there. And I think that, yeah. I think that Bill Belichick's learning it. I think Matt Patricia's learning it. I think Joe Judge is learning it. And I think ultimately the Patriots fan base is learning it week over week, year over year. I guess I just, you got a question, where is rock bottom? Like, when does it stop? <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I think, I don't want to say that we're nearing rock bottom. I don't think it's anything like that, but it could get here. You know, rock bottom for this franchise could get here if, you know, if this injury sort of, if this injury and the offensive system and the play caller and all of that stuff combined works to further stunt Mac Jones's development to the point where he's gone from, hey, maybe this guy is 
the best out of that class to, oh God, maybe he's the worst out of that class. <laughs> then you're talking about, yeah, resetting the quarterback part of the process. And then you have to hope that you get it right the second time. Like, yeah, that's a dark path. I don't want to have to go down. Now, I don't think we're getting anywhere close to that. But if all of these issues add up and put us down that road, that's what rock bottom starts to look like. Well, hopefully it doesn't for your sake, not because I love the Patriots, but because I like you. Hopefully for your sake, that doesn't happen. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social media and also the multitude of publications that you now work for? It's no more multitude, man. It's okay. just the one. Let's go. Let's go. One. Let's talk am, about this. Congratulations. I am a full-time NFL writer now. Yes, I have sir. gone from the guy that works at 12 different spots on a freelancer contract basis to I am a full-time NFL staff writer for SB Nation. Guys, I have an office in downtown DC if I ever want to like go into the office. Like, this the, 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 what you just heard was me cracking a Montucky cold snack for you, sir. Congratulations. No, that was no thanks, guys. Thanks. But yeah, no, it's all espionation.com. Listen, I'm writing about football. Yeah, of course, because I am my my job title, my business card of such a thing actually existed, would say NFL writer, but I'm writing about baseball. I'm writing about hockey. I'm gonna be writing about Formula One. Like I can write about whatever I want. And it's all at espionation.com, man. I love it. I love it for you. Congratulations, sir. Thank you, guys. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So as we shift gears out of the Patriots' misery, we talk to this surprising not-basement team in the AFC East, the New York Jets who themselves also lost this week to the Cincinnati Bengals, 27-12. Here to talk to us about this this week, as always, Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. Scott, I think in the offseason, we not joked, but we talked kind of lightheartedly about how there was a chance that there could, like, the Jets might not be the worst team in the AFC East this year, at least by, by standings. And... You agreed with us that this could be the year that they at least challenge for not being in the basement. Now, considering the fact that the Patriots just lost their starting quarterback, they're going to play either Brian Hoyer or, God forbid, something happens to him, Bailey Zappi as like a <laughs> late-round rookie. How do you feel about the Jets' odds right now of not finishing in last in the AFCs for the first time in a long time? 
why do I get the distinct feeling that Bailey Zappi is going to end up being the next Tom Brady or something? Like, you know, that's don't you dare speak that into existence. Don't you dare? <laughs> no, I mean, listen, a lot of this just depends on, on what happens with Zach Wilson, who will be back. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this. But barring some unforeseen setbacks, should be back on Sunday against the Steelers. If he plays relatively well, I think there's a, a at least a 50-50 shot that the Jets wind up in third place and leapfrog the Patriots. I don't think there's much hope for them to come anywhere near the Dolphins or the Bills. But look, baby steps. It's so annoying, though, as a Jets fan, that every year you have to talk yourself into these ridiculous things like, Man, I don't care if they only win five games as long as player X looks good or, hey, you know, if they can be a contender in five more years, and that's where we're at, but that's the reality. So this is one of those, hey, if they could just not be the worst team in the division and maybe even win a division game for the first time since, I think, what, 2018, I think was the last time they won a division game? Or Yeah, was, yeah. That, was it 2018 yeah. or 2019? No, it might have been, was it 2019 when the Bills had everything sewn up? Yep, we had everything sewn up and we sat our starters down the stretch yep. and the result yep. was you guys. But you guys were trailing in the second half. And I remember talking to a right. Jets fan sitting in our section who had driven, I want to say, oh, he'd said he'd drove, driven like six hours from downstate for that game. It rained and it wasn't great. And then to top it all off, halfway through the third, you guys are losing and he's just, I looked at him and I was like, how you feeling right now, bud? And he's like, I, I got my kids out of bed. <laughs> I got my yeah. kids out of bed at like four in the morning for this. At the time I was really annoyed because if the Jets were going to win that game, which obviously was meaningless to both teams, I wanted it to be because Sam Darnold played really well. Of course, what happened is Darnold played terribly the Bills played their second and third stringers, and that should have been a tip to anyone that Darnold couldn't do anything against them. And then the Jets <laughs> dropped back in the draft order. So it was the worst of all worlds, really. Mm -hmm. uh, but, hey, 7-9 for Adam Gase. Actually, it's funny because every everybody talks about how bad Gase was, and he was terrible. And they went 7-9. and nine. A bunch of those wins were flukes. That was kind of the story of Gase's career in Miami and New York where – he would win these like weird fluky games like on a missed field goal or a missed extra point and things like that. But seven and nine this year, I think most Jets fans would sign up for seven and ten if it meant Zach Wilson was good. So it's just funny you look back at that as a disastrous year and they won seven games. Well, so this is where I'll start this conversation. In the wake of this Cincinnati loss, you put out a tweet on September 25th. Since the AFL-NFL merger, the Jets have only hired one head coach with an established track record of success. He's the, also the only head coach to stay longer than one year and produce a winning record. And in quotes, you put Parcel. If Sala doesn't work out, it's time for Woody to open up the checkbook and hire a proven commodity. Now, I will say that I think what comes out in the wake of this loss, specifically, is this idea that the Jets in year two under Robert's, Robert Sala still seem to lack an identity, mm -hmm. right? Like I, when you take the Buffalo Bills, for example, we were a shit show. We had Rex Ryan. You know him, <laughs> the master right. bloviator that he is. Sure he do. took over the Buffalo Bills 
and got everyone fired up with his you know, speeches and his rah-rah nonsense, and he's eating dog biscuits and jumping out of airplanes and riding tandem bicycles with his fat brother, unfortunately <laughs> not over the falls. Like they, they, share, they shared a wallet in college, by the way. I don't know if you knew about that. I'm not even making that up. I wish they would have shared the same cab and then it started on fire. <laughs> so, so ultimately, when McDermott got here, the first thing he did, right, was he worked to establish buy-in and just this idea that we are going to jettison anybody who doesn't want to be a hard-nosed assignment sound football player. And I don't care what that does to our roster. We're at least going to be this and we're going to rebuild the culture. Then you look at, like, the Miami Dolphins and you have Josh, uh, Mike McDaniels, who at least he went down there and basically said, listen, we're going to be a smarter offensive football team than we've been for the last decade here's Miami Dolphins. And we're going to get more out of this offense than previous teams have been able to, even with a bad offensive line situation. He was able to do that. You've watched the way that some of these coaches come in, and it's like, if you're not going to... I guess I just look at Robert Sala and I don't know what he does. It's one of those things. If you're not going to be a boon to the offense the way Mike McDaniel's done for the Dolphins, and you're not going to be a culture changer the way McDermott was here in Buffalo... And also, your defense isn't responding to you because for all the assets, the, the team is sunk into things. I can understand the offensive pieces not showing out yet because they haven't had a they haven't had Zach Wilson. But the defense, that was supposed to be Robert Sala's calling card, and your defense hasn't been great. I mean, I look at the Jets' starting safeties. You spent money on that in free agency. Jordan Whitehead has six missed tackles and a 150 passer rating allowed. LaMarcus <laughs> Joyner. Four missed tackles, 158. These are NFL veterans who are coming into this system and underperforming. So if you're not going to help the offense, you're not going to change the culture, you're not going to change the defense to be better. To quote office space, what is it you say you do here? (laughs) Yeah, I think the problem is that, look, it's only been three games this year, but it's also been 20 games total. Oh, 19, I guess, because Salah missed one game with COVID last year. And ironically, that was one of the games the Jets won when Ron Middleton was the head coach. But really what it comes down to here is, as you said, Drew, you get all these slogans, you get the rah-rah stuff, but then you peel all that back and there's a lot of reason to worry. Now, no one's saying that Robert Salah should be fired tomorrow, but it's something that you need to keep an eye on. For example... We saw that the Cincinnati Bengals, and and this has been something that that you've known since last year, but it it really came into focus this year. They struggle mightily against cover two. Joe Burrow has a lot of trouble. He's much better facing the blitz because he can get the ball out quickly against one-on-ones, and you saw that repeatedly on Sunday. Now, Warren Sharp tweeted this out earlier in the week, and My friend and co-founder at Play Like a Jet, Chris Walker, was talking about this with me days before the game. And we said, yeah, you know, it's not what the Jets do best, but they must have game plan throughout the week to do this because Burrow has a lot of trouble with it. So you want to make sure that you force him into something he's not comfortable doing. Well, guess what? The Jets played almost zero cover two. And Robert Salad tried to pull that that nonsense gaslighting during the week where he was asked about this. He said, well, it was actually cover two. But you didn't recognize it because we had this guy here. It wasn't cover two, and, <laughs> and, and he was trying to play a parlor trick. But but again, you see that, and you say, okay, 
You had all week to game plan for this. Why is this going on? Then you saw Quinn and Williams blow up on the sideline with the defensive line coach, Aaron Whitecotton. And the reason is because he said, look, let us do what we're doing up here with a four-man rush and stop sending extra blitzers. You're killing us here. And guess what? As soon as they finally started listening to Quinn and Williams, things got better. By that point, they, they were already down multiple scores. But the point is, Quinn and Williams shouldn't need to point this out to the coaching staff. I mean, you could go on and on about this. The constant miscommunications. And I thought it was funny because Robert Sallon was like, well, every team has like at least a half dozen miscommunications during the game. <laughs> we just got burned on ours and we got unlucky. And it's like, no, nah, man, that's not a good enough excuse. You brought up the safeties. Look, the safety play was always going to be an area of concern. And and in, in fairness to Joe Douglas, Rome wasn't built in a day. There was sure. only so much he could do. Yes. They, they try to get by. I mean, look, I think the big disappointment here is Whitehead because people expected more from him. He talked it a lot of shit. Out, he talked a yeah, lot of shit on social media. I, I've never seen a player engage yeah. trolls the way Jordan Whitehead did and mm. then show his ass for three yeah. weeks. Yeah, I mean, the thing that, that's annoying about him especially is you knew he wasn't great in pass coverage, but you thought, okay, maybe this guy's a pretty good tackler. He's been terribly, terrible tackling, as you, you mentioned. But again, with Joyner, what are you going to do? The guy didn't play last year. He's 32 years old, and he hasn't played free safety in three years. So there's a limit to what you should reasonably, reasonably expect from this guy. The bigger disappointment, I think, is pass rush because you knew the safeties were going to be a liability, but they have the most expensive defensive line in the entire league. Number one in payroll in the on the defensive line, and they're just not getting the quarterback. And to be fair, Quinton Williams has been awesome. He's been doing his job. He's been all over the place, multiple pressures, forced a bunch of bad throws, had a, had a sack, uh, had several tackles for loss. He can't do it all by himself. The edge presence was supposed to be there. Carl Lawson, and look, he's coming off a major injury, so you got to give him a little bit of leeway. He just hasn't been what expected. I know ESPN had something about pass rush win rate, but if you look at the tape, and even PFF kind of backs this up, Lawson's been a major disappointment in terms of his pressure rate and all that. Jermaine Johnson hasn't been getting in as much. He's been better against the run than actually getting to the quarterback. Uh, Jacob Martin... He's had a few moments here and there, but he's been a disappointment as a rotational edge rusher. Solomon Thomas hasn't offered much. John Franklin Myers is really playing out of position. He needs to be playing inside. That's where he does his best stuff, and they keep insisting on putting him at edge. So that's really where the major disappointment is because the corners have been exactly what you would have expected and really more because you thought Sauce Gardner was going to be a really good corner, but you figured there'd be a learning curve. But he was great on Sunday he went up against Jamar Chase, I believe, 10 times, and they only threw at him once. And the one time they threw at him, Sauce knocked the ball away on, a, on an attempt into the end zone. So Jamar Chase did nothing when Sauce was on him. DJ Reed has been excellent. Uh, we knew that he was pretty good, but when he got here, I mean, he's been, I would say, probably the Jets' second-best player on defense after Quentin Williams so far. So the corners have performed. The, Quinn and Williams has performed that the safeties are, I mean, look, Whitehead should be better, but the safeties are an issue as you kind of expected that they might be. The pass rush has been the big problem. And that's been what, what the biggest issue has been with this defense. They're just not getting to the quarterback. And you know, this is true. 
in a in a passing league in 2022, if you're not getting the quarterback, if you're not putting consistent pressure on him, if you're giving him too much time to throw, or you're allowing him to get outside the pocket, and make plays with his legs, you're you're going to get burned a lot, and that's what's happened so far. Oh no, 100%. Like that's it's it's a very difficult thing to try to do for a defense, especially one that's still trying to find its identity in the back end of the defense. So when I think about this and I say, okay, you guys got bullied in the trenches on both sides of the football in this game. But then I look at the statistics and I go, everything was so close. Everything's so close, and yet your offense was just punchless and couldn't keep it close. I mean, the yardage, you were only two yards total behind them. What that tells me is you just don't have the guy running the show to make your offense dangerous. Now, that changes. Zach Wilson's going to come back. He's the guy that this whole thing was supposed to be engineered for. I'm sure he'll be a little rusty. It'll be interesting to see where he picks up. But one of the big things that I want to hit on with you before we close this segment out, this idea that this team just, first of all, injuries, you guys are uh, another right, another tackle goes to the IR. Uh, God knows what you guys are going to do there. Hey, can you guys call Fina for me? Because maybe he'll come out of retirement. The Jets are <laughs> John, John Fina will put down the podcasting and come play for the New York Jets. I don't know. I see him and I listen. He and I went some rounds after a couple beers because uh, I goaded him into it because that's my personality. I, I can get you once I get a handful of IPAs and yeah, I can kind of needle you into <laughs> To do. I was like, listen, you're old. My arms are almost as long as yours. So what if I'm two and a half feet shorter than you? Eh, I think I could get you. And of course, you know, guys who are hyper competitive, that doesn't go over well. So it's, it's always funny. But so you guys are going to roll Zach Wilson out there. The, the dynamic that needs to change for the Jets is that these lackluster starts. That's what kills you guys is that you don't start fast. And then it snowballs. I mean, in this game, I'm looking at the box score. They had 14 to your six in the first quarter. So it was 20 to nine going into halftime. That, that's difficult for any team to come back from, much less a team that doesn't have its quarterback. Do you think that trend changes when Zach Wilson comes back? I hope so. The problem is, remember, he's going to be rusty. Uh, man. Look, I hope that he comes in and immediately takes a step forward and we say, wow, this offense is just totally different. I I hope that he comes back with a vengeance, kind of the way that, if you remember, it's ironic now considering how everything went for him after that. But when when Darnold came back from the mono, he had a killer game against the, the Cowboys. It was one of his best games of his career. And so it would be nice to see Zach Wilson come back and have a game like that. The, the, the interesting thing about the offense, though, is that I can't really get on Michael LaFleur about this. I, look, Elijah Moore, if you go back and look at the tape, and Luke Grant has documented this repeatedly. I think he's got a video coming up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash play like a jet. But he's got a lot of still photos to show this, too. Elijah Moore is getting open a lot, and Flacco's just not seeing him or he's not going to him. It was weird because the only times that he really seemed to go to Elijah Moore last week were on jump balls down the field on go routes. And it's like, dude, I love Elijah Moore. He's a dynamic wide receiver. He's five foot nine. Do not <laughs> throw jump balls to this guy. That's not how you use him. 
Chris, so that we, was just bizarre. Can we put uh, that up there with uh, Josh Allen throwing to a double-covered fullback in the Houston game? <laughs> yeah. Probably not a smart idea. No, Jesus. not the best idea. So uh, th- you see things like that, and I can't really get on Mike LaFleur about that. I-, I think the thing that everybody's terrified of right now with Zach Wilson is that, you, as you talked about, the Jets had Mekhi Becton and George Fant ready to go into the season – Becton gets hurt in training camp. They sign Dwayne Brown, so it's going to be Dwayne Brown and George Fant. Then Dwayne Brown gets hurt. So Max Mitchell, the fourth-round pick out of Louisiana, has to step in. And in fairness to him, he hasn't been a disaster. Each week he's gotten better. He hasn't embarrassed himself, and he looks like he may actually potentially turn into a decent starting tackle. So he's not even really the big problem. But now George Fant, who's been playing banged up and wasn't playing well, he gets hurt. He goes on IR. Of course, a day after Robert Salas says, I don't think IR is an option for George Fant. Another problem that Robert Salas keeps running into is he keeps getting way out ahead of himself with stuff like that and then having to backtrack and contradict himself. But so now they're going to put in Connor McDermott. And I really can't bless you. express in words to you how bad that is. Connor McDermott is so bad. I'm not even trying to exaggerate. He's not a rosterable lineman. I don't know why he, he keeps sticking around here. And now the Jets went out and they signed, uh, they signed a couple of guys that have some experience to tackle. Who knows what's going to happen with that? But Connor McDermott can't start. I mean, you go back and you look at the tape from last week from when he jumped in after Fant got hurt. It was like these guys, he might as well have just been a matador. Ole! Like he was just letting these guys right by and <laughs> – Everybody's nervous because obviously Wilson's coming off an injury. You need to protect him. And so that, I think, is the, is the one that makes everybody the most scared. Because, you know, look, Brees Hall played pretty well last week. Now, they're still only giving him like six or seven carries a game, but he's making the most of it. And he also made some plays in the passing game. He had some moments. There was one play where he dropped what would have been a first down. Wasn't a perfect pass by Flacco, but if he'd, if he'd have caught it, it would have been a first down. Overall, he's played well. Michael Carter also played pretty well. And the receivers, look, Garrett Wilson adds a different element to this team. He, When he's in there, he's getting open because, as we talked about before the draft, his number one strength is his ability to get off with quick releases and get open very fast. And so he does that, and Flacco's been finding him. I assume Wilson will as well. Elijah Moore, like I said, he's been getting open. Corey Davis, a fairly reliable number three guy. And while Tyler Conklin struggled the first week or two, last week he was actually the Jets' leading receiver. And so he's a guy that you would hope Zach Wilson takes advantage of having as well because, look, the Jet tight end position has been an absolute joke for a really long time. I was saying last year I wish the Jets would just get somebody as competent as Dawson Knox. So we'll see if if Conklin's turning the corner because he had fumbles in each of the first two weeks and then he was better this past week. Like I said, though, the expectations for Wilson are pretty high. Uh, Jets fans are, are really, without him, it's been tough to watch other than that miracle comeback. So you, you want to see progress there. But everybody's scared to death of McDermott. Right now, I joked about this on Twitter yesterday. I said, Jets fans, Time to start saying a prayer for Dwayne Brown's shoulder because he's eligible to come off of IR next week. 
uh, going into that matchup against the Dolphins, and boy, are they going to need him. So uh, that's what I think Jets fans are the most worried about is McDermott and obviously Wilson coming back from the injury. What's he going to be like? How rusty is he going to be? Is he going to is he going to at least show you something? So it sounds like the the Jets have a lot, and it just seems like in terms of things coming home to roost. You know, we're we're talking about people ruining over the course of the week and how we find you guys are actually doing well. And it'll be interesting to see if these investments you've made, because I think that's where you guys fall into this, is just investments made on the offensive line that aren't paying off. Now your chickens are coming home to roost in the form of shaky protection at best for a quarterback who desperately needs it. You guys are going to have all of this covered both beforehand and after the game. Where can people find you on social and where can they find your work over at Play Like a Jet? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. The podcast is available Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, anywhere you download podcasts. Seven days a week, we're going to be previewing the game with, uh, from the Pittsburgh side. We call that Know Your Foe. We've got the pregame report the day of. Chris Nimbley and Walter Cherpinski of WalterFootball.com come on. We talk about the last-minute news and notes, injuries, and then we get into stuff like over-unders and prop bets, and uh, Walter comes on and does his picks from around the league, which I recommend listening to because Walter's won some very high-profile contests. He's an excellent sports better, especially NFL, so if you want to make a few bucks, that's a good idea. Uh, we also do the post-game report right after with Andy Vasquez of NJ.com, uh, Mike Davis, who is Garrett Wilson's uh, mentor and personal coach since he was a teenager, generally joins the show and we break down what he saw from the Jets and obviously from Garrett Wilson. Boy, was he proud of Garrett after that week two performance against the Browns. Uh, We do midweek news and notes as well. So seven days a week, the machine just keeps on churning. Guys, I appreciate you having me on as always. And I just hope that Connor McDermott doesn't wind up allowing Zach Wilson to get inducted into the Hall of Pain circa 2011 Mark Henry when he was WWE champion and just laying dudes out. And so that brings us to the Buffalo Bills, who, as we all know by now, lost to the Dolphins 21-19 to in what is just the most frustrating set of circumstances our week three recap and our ravens preview are already out make sure you go check those out ahead of our game this sunday and just if you're you're still looking for a little bit of i don't know mouthwash after what happened on sunday i enjoy the fact chris that we delay our podcast until wednesday whereas most people are rushing to the microphones we get to be the nightcap right like our podcast the people who come to our recap podcasts are basically only coming there because they need a really petty nightcap on what they've already taken in from other content producers who are tripping all over themselves to get out in front of microphones as fast as they can. Yeah. I, I love it. I love our role, our space in this community. I mean, like, I don't know how Greg, I think Greg was on vacation. Like Greg and Greg and Aaron generally do the post game for cover one, like right after the game. I don't know how you do it right after, especially that type of game. We tried to record immediately after a podcast one time ever. We recorded 45 minutes of audio, like 48 minutes of audio. It was way less than that. And it was after the EJ Manuel London, well, England Well, this game. is the thing. We recorded for 40 minutes. What Chris was actually able to utilize, he boiled down to a one minute and like 47 second montage. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a bad, yeah, that was after the England fiasco. 
yeah. with the Jaguars. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. And listen, I'll, you'll never catch me. Not ever. Because when the Bills win, I like to celebrate it. When the Bills lose, I like to just roll around in like a dog that found something bad out in the yard. <laughs> I like to wallow in that misery a little bit. Yeah. So the Bills are fresh off a harrowing loss to the Dolphins. They dropped to 2-1 uh, and one in the season. But the bigger story here is the continuing rash of injuries the Bills are facing, which are easily the biggest of Sean McDermott's career, and how they're preparing to handle it. Now, when I looked at today's injury report, and that's why I'm glad that we now record on Wednesdays, I've got the Bills injury report up. Ryan Bates is in the concussion protocol. Okay, Christian Benford, he's going to be out with hand surgery, he'll probably miss a few weeks by McDermott's own admission. Gabe Davis is still limited in practice with that ankle injury. I texted Kyle and I asked him about Benford. I wonder if I still have it. I I sent a text to Kyle Trimble, banged up bills. You know, he did he did tell me, you know, I like that my website's getting so much traffic right now, but you know, it's <laughs> not a He goes, This isn't what I wanted when I started this website. Yeah, I sent him a text on uh, Monday when the news came out about Benford's hand and I and I asked him if he could play with a giant club and he said he could I don't know if he or the team wants to Kyle Duggar played with one in the playoffs last year and struggled yeah uh, wait Chris did he struggle I don't know just look at the fucking scoreboard Jesus Christ <laughs> yeah it might have not been just him but I mean when, yeah when, when I saw Benford hand injury I was that was like like we're so thin there. It's like well yeah can can't you just put a giant club club on it and and get back to work? But you know who knows if that's what they're gonna do. So meanwhile, Gabe Davis ankle injury still limited in practice. Uh, Deion Dawkins with an illness, he's not playing or practicing. Dane Jackson did practice. So did Dawson Knox, Cam Lewis, Mitch Morse, Justin Murray, Ed Oliver, and Jordan Poyer. Jordan Phillips is going to miss this week by our coach's own admission. Roger Saffold, they gave him veteran rest, which, I don't, what is he resting from? I haven't seen you fucking do anything. Don't talk to me about rest. Well, they uh, do that. Old, McDermott loves to do vet rest days. And Jake Kumro is going to be out for a while with, an ankle, with a high ankle sprain. So when you look at this team, like we're the most beat up we've ever been. We're facing this glut of injuries all at once, and it's really testing the limits of our depth chart. You know, when you go to the 22, 2022 Buffalo Bills over at OurLads.com and you take a look at who we have, the names, the, the highlight names in red that are injured, it's like someone just scribbled all over this place with a marker. At this point, I don't know who's going to play, who's their starting cornerback this week. Chris, do you know? We don't know yet. We'll probably know Sunday morning around 10 a.m. What I do know is that the Bills have made moves to address some of this. They bring in Xavier Rhodes and Justin Murray. Now, I was Sunday, was just kind of messaging people and talking. About, and this is what I hate about Chris, this is what I hate about fucking content creators, right? Intrinsically, you're kind of like it's built into your, or maybe, it, not for me, but... People are like, well, I immediately have to go tweet five names to be like, well, maybe they might bring in this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy. I'm just going to name five names. And if the team does one of these five things, I'm then going to retweet it four days later and go, see, I'm smart. I'm smart. I got a podcast. I, I can't <laughs> fucking I can't picture you doing that based on how much you get into watching the game. 
I can't. I can't focus on your your Sundays on Twitter are fueled by hate, rage, hate tweeting, and rage tweeting. Hey, you never see me celebratory tweet. No. no, I'm too busy celebrating in real fucking life, like most of us should be. No, like just well, I mean, it even goes to when you're actually at the game too, because you know I we told it on the review of the Monday night game. You just sat next to me. You're like, I'm not standing until I see a play worth standing for. <laughs> and then it's a touchdown. You're goddamn right. You're yes. damn right. So with that in mind, Sunday night, I'm laying there. I've got one eye open. I'm sitting on the couch, and my wife's like, what are you doing? And I go, I'm looking. She, she goes, it's one in the morning. The lights are out. We're sleeping on the couch. I've got my phone out. She are you goes, that poor? You don't have a bed? No, we do, but I'll tell you what. Once you find, well, once you have kids, you'll know. Once you have a bow, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You're never gonna. No. So at a certain point, you just get so tired between you and your spouse. You're just like, listen, wherever wherever I fall, I fall. I'm just fucking leave me here. So I'm laying on the couch. I wake up and I pick up my phone. It's probably about midnight. And I immediately, I'm like, well, I got to get back to sleep somehow. I pull up my phone and just start, because I'm not going downstairs. I just start scrolling and I'm looking, my wife wakes up and she's like, who are you texting? Because obviously that's every wife's concern, right? When you wake up at 1 a.m. and you see your husband on a yeah, phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be real concerned if you were cheating. <laughs> that's what I tell her. She gets mad when she's not mad, but she'll get like, like if I don't have my wedding ring on at softball, she'll make a comment about it. Or like, she'll be like, oh, well, you better put that on before you go to the bar. Or, like, I'll come home from the gym and I'll forget to put my wedding ring back on after I'm done working out. And she'll be like, oh, so you take your ring off of the gym, huh? And I'm like, honey, you're talking to the guy who puts soap in his eyes. I do smelling salts in front of people. I walk around with crazy eyes and talk to myself. I'm not, I am not a desirable man. No, you're not. <laughs> the amount of effort you would have to put forth <laughs> with personality and charm, because that's your only method of attracting women... Because it's not going to be your looks. No woman out there is... is. There's no way Larissa said to herself, the man of my dreams is going to need to look like a gorilla. It needs... Basically, what you're trying to do is... You know who they go out there and they're looking for is uh, Mighty Joe Young. Yeah, that's it. They go, you know who I want? I want that guy peeling bananas in my kitchen. Um, so I'm looking at who's available at Corner. And I'm going down the list and I'm saying to myself, okay, too old... Too old. That guy sucked. I watched that guy suck. That's a, And I came up with a couple names. It basically just came down to Xavier Rhodes. And I want to say there was two other guys, both older veterans, uh, A.J. Bouye. Did you want Joe and, Hayden? No, he was already retiring. Uh, Bouye, Bouye was the one that I thought. I was like, okay, this could make sense because I remember him with the Jaguars with a good defensive line. He was, he was very good for them across from Jalen Ramsey, which... Trey White, you know, when he comes back, this could be, they have to go with Xavier Rhodes, which is fine. It's a perfectly fine signing. It doesn't help us for this week. But in the big picture, when you look at what Xavier Rhodes is, I don't know, I get a little concerned because I, I look at his last season and I say to myself, okay. Who did he play with last year? Uh, the Colts. Okay. He played with the Colts and... It's a mishmash because some, like, what I see is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games over the course of the last season that he was highly rated against, like, in terms of tackling, 
where he just he, he's a sound tackler in space. His coverage grades are all over the place. And some of his worst games came against teams that I don't know that I trust to throw the ball. Like, I'm looking at this against the Titans. Okay, so he goes up against the Titans, a team that we know, even last year, they weren't the most potent passing attack in the entire world. 100% completion percentage against for 51 yards. Uh, He goes up against, who's this in week five? It's San Francisco, week seven, San Francisco. (laughs) San Francisco. He has an interception and a pass breakup. But... It's Jimmy Garoppolo, San Francisco. Yep. So is that saying much? And then you go right back to Tennessee. He's mediocre again. The Jets, okay? Against the Jets, he gave up 56 yards and a touchdown last year. Like, How, how much of this is, was he the right fit for what the Colts well, were trying to do? So that's, I guess, the question. Now, you made a comment about... Xavier Rhodes and his affiliation with Leslie Frazier. Yeah, because he was in Minnesota when Leslie was there. Okay. So maybe some of the, the, the as long as Leslie's scheme hasn't changed too much. I mean, we're seeing. His ramp up time might not. That's where the signing makes sense. Cause we're seeing it with our own eyes as far as Jordan Phillips, because he was great here. And then he went to Arizona and was a dick. And then came back and came back and he's been productive. So Xavier Rhodes, having been productive in the Leslie Frazier scheme and then leaving and being middling. But then again, you win. You figure you start wondering, how did they make their determination? Well, they brought in a guy that their defensive coordinator was familiar with. That seems to make sense, doesn't it? Yeah. It also seems to make sense that his ramp-up time probably won't be as much as it might be for some other street-free agent. So it'll be interesting to see what his acclimation process is like, how quickly he can get on the field, because there is a desperate need right now for the Buffalo Bills. And then there's this Justin Murray character, which I thought was hilarious. Like, this week we had to... Chris, I've said a lot of, I've yelled a lot of profanity at the top of my lungs at various people in public. I didn't know why that we didn't go I after Daryl Williams. I still think the dirtiest thing I've said is that I was happy to see that Bobby Hart was back. I still maintain that's a top 10 worst thing I've said out loud. And this yeah. is a guy who literally, like, I didn't say it out loud, but I texted my brother that I hope whoever wired the electrical in this one room in my house that I'm selling steps on an AIDS needle at the beach. That's a thing. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm more embarrassed to have to have said that I'm happy to see Bobby Hart back. Why not Darrell Williams? Maybe and- that bridge has been burned. Think about the way the Bills have handled offensive linemen. Like, there's a lot of things that we say about Brandon Bean and about his, the way he handles free agency, the way he handles players. Shaq Lawson, Jordan Phillips both spoke to it. They said, hey, when we parted ways with the Bills, we left on good terms. Brandon Bean checked in on us when we were in other cities to just be like, hey, I'm not tampering. I just want to make sure that you're happy and that you're doing well and that your client's doing well and that everything's going well for you. Because in the future, if we ever have to do business again, I want to make sure that they're happy. But then you look at the offensive linemen who have left. John Feliciano. That didn't end well. No. Uh, Cody Ford, we just jettisoned him for nothing. Yeah. Um, uh, Quentin Spain. Well, he's still playing, right? And he's still in... Oh, no, he's still playing. Cincinnati? He just, he just demanded his release. <laughs> like, You start to go down the list and you go, okay, so maybe whether it's coaching, whether it's the GM, I don't know. 
but we seem to fracture these relationships with offensive linemen. You know where we're still kicking ourselves? Where? Wyatt the Teller. Wyatt Teller. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen that. But again, who knows? Maybe he doesn't develop properly. I mean, we talked about Aaron Cromer earlier. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, where did Wyatt Teller go? Uh, Cleveland. And who's their O-line coach? Isn't it that fat dude who, like... Bill Callahan? Who's... I mean, that guy's going to die soon, isn't he? Like <laughs> he's Well, he's widely regarded as one of the best O-line coaches ever. I mean, not what? on a Skarnackia level, but he's up there as one of the better O-line coaches. So, I mean, they talk to me about my blood pressure sometimes. Like, you know, it's a little high. And I go, if that guy's still alive, I don't, I'm not I'm not worried about anything. <laughs> I don't think it works like that. But. <laughs> <laughs> but so Justin Murray, I don't know what he is. I mean, he's a here's what I'll say. Last season, he played three games. Phenomenal pass block grades. Phenomenal pass block grades. Okay, uh, one sack allowed, only two pressures in three games. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then if that's the case and that's the player that they think they can bring in and say, hey, we just need a pass block specialist because we ain't trying to run block. I would not only believe that, but I would I would say, okay, then this signing makes sense. I just don't know how he's also what Chris He's working off a foot injury. Allegedly. So we signed him and he showed up on the injury report with a foot injury. But he's a body. Yeah, we need that. And that's how you could play online. And that's how your arms are long enough. My favorite was doing like blocking. I finally I got Fina. I got Fina at the bar when we did that uh, roundup show that that uh, whatever you want to call it. We need to have this is here's Joe Marino came in. I egged him. I was like, look, my lungs, my arms are long. I'm I'm half your age. I could totally work you in a blocking drill. And I just egged him into it. I was like, "Uh, come on, John. Come on now. (laughs) We need to start a GoFundMe for raising money for John Fina to come back out to Buffalo. And you guys just do an hour offensive line training. We just make a. You could make a video. Yeah. And it could be him explaining well, no, technique and then just ragdolling me around the yard. You do a GoFundMe. <laughs> you do a GoFundMe, but then we use the money we get from GoFundMe for it to be highly produced on the video <laughs> side of it, and not me. <laughs> that's that's what it would be for. Just uh, one hour, you, John Fina, and then uh, you know. Maybe we can get like a whole line. Get Nate Geary to play quarterback. <laughs> film it at Frontier. We can talk about this, but I guess if we're going to close this segment about the Buffalo Bills off their loss to the Dolphins, team health, right? This is the most injured the Bills have ever been. And it's just interesting to me that it comes in a season where the Bills, like this is the first time we've been labeled Super Bowl favorites, Super Bowl contenders, maybe best team in the league. We're fresh off a loss where we just ran out of bodies and lost by two points. Yeah. Like, we're in the red zone and our best red zone targets. Dawson Knox, outside of Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox and Isaiah McKenzie are both in the locker room getting IVs. We're down to nothing. We're literally trying to cobble things together. I think Kyle texted me and asked me to ask Reed if there was ever a point if Reed had to go in on the <laughs> offensive line. That's my point. Like, we're, we were getting close to that point in a football game. So seeing this, if the team can find a way to dig out of this hole and win a couple games over the next month, on a scale of 1 to 10, how impressed would you be with this coaching staff? 
be very impressed. Do you think that would go a long way towards shutting up some of these narratives that are floating around out there about this coaching staff? Yeah. Okay. So it's going to be on them to do it. Their upcoming contest against the the Ravens is, as we talked about in our preview show, carries a lot of weight. Even if it's week four, it's too early to call anything a must win, but there's a lot of weight attached to this one, both real in terms of the standings and also psychological for this team. So it'll be interesting to see how they navigate this wave of injuries. Is there anyone here who you, the fact that Jordan Poyer, he's a key. Yep. If we have him, I feel a lot better about the course of this game than I do if he's not playing. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, me personally, I'll be fine with Hamlin and Johnson out there because they've been here for a minute. And then you have Frazier, former defensive back, McDermott, worked with DBs his whole coaching career. I'll be fine with that, but you can't. They can't match the athleticism that Poyer brings. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, sir. But now, we unfortunately have to move on, Chris. And you're gonna hate this. Now, Chris, I have to open a fresh beer for this because for just the second time since the inception of this podcast, the Buffalo Bills have lost the division lead to an opponent with a loss and left us closing the show not with a Buffalo Bills segment, but with pettiness and gloating from an opponent. And so as Florida braces for Hurricane Ian, in blows Hurricane Elf, which has already been raging across Twitter (laughs) as it pertains to the Buffalo Bills fan base. Mr. Elf Artiaga of three yards per carry. How are you doing tonight? No, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, you know, uh, pretty first good. First of all, I'm in I'm in Miami Lakes, which is on the other side of, of like if you ever look at Florida, you know it's mm-hmm. a very phallic state. Mm-hmm. I'm on the right side of that of 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 that. So okay, I'm pretty far away. But Fort Myers is getting it's getting savaged right now. <sighs> it's not pretty what's happening to Fort Myers. It's also not pretty what you've been doing to my friends. What you've been doing to my fellow Bills fans, I, Chris, Elf has been, as the kids say these days, on one for the last 72 hours. I would be, too, if uh, I was 3-0. Elf, first of all, this, this war path you've been on on social media, um, it feels good, doesn't it? It does, but if you've noticed, all of it, it's been counterpunching. Like, it's always people getting into my mentions or adding me and then, or, or say, or making a statement. And then I just respond with a fact here, a fact there. Like with Nick Geary, like, you know, I really appreciate how uh, my listeners came on and started backing me in my little spat with Nick Geary, but. You know, well, that wasn't a spat. I don't really. just love your spat with Nate Geary. I love the fact that out of all of this, what might have come is what's going to be known as probably one of our favorite bits ever in the history of this podcast, because we now have already booked. Like It's like when you know who's going to fight at WrestleMania, but you got to burn like three months, four months of time. So you got to create drama. The main event, Mr. Elf Artiaga and Mr. Nate Geary are going to square off for our next Miami Dolphins Buffalo Bills preview show, and it's going to be electric. Chris and I will be uh, taking over for J.R. Ross, and uh, who do you want to be? Do you want to be Jim Cornette? I'm always a fan of Jim Cornette. (laughs) 
It's all fun and games until Stephen Ross gets down there and starts building a dome over your stadium. So this is so this is what I love, Elf. You so I get a DM from Elf the other day. Not the other day. I think it was was it this morning? You DM me and it's a link to a Twitter account yesterday called Hard Rock Sun. Who did this? Which one of you six sons of bitches out there created an account called Hard Rock Sun? The bio reads 46, 4,603 billion years old, single-handedly keeping humanity alive, menace to the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> what, what, Elf, you're not, not just you, your fan base is enjoying the pettiness in this kind of like, uh, does it feel like a rebirth of the Miami franchise with this win? Yeah, it feels like the, a rebirth of, of the rivalry, really, between the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. And I said this on the podcast. There wasn't going to be a rivalry until they won a game. And, yeah, they took the game at home, the one that they had to take. And the next one's going to be much more difficult because I'm preparing my my uh, my excuses for how cold it's going to be <laughs> and, and how Tua doesn't play well in the cold. So that game doesn't count. You understand that, right? Uh, and I just look, so there's a, there's a tweet from our friends over at the, uh, the air raid report, air <laughs> raid hour, Sean McDermott made it a point to ensure there would be natural grass in the new Bills stadium. It was in reference to a tweet about Sterling, Sterling Shepard tearing his ACL. And you just, ha- you just come in from left field just asking, is there going to be sun? <laughs> It's the, the problem is, is that for as much as I want to back my friends for as much as I want to try to be like, hey, listen, because your people get very tribal about this stuff. But me, I love me some petty horse shit. And that is that's top tier, sir. I do like you. That, guys, if you're not if you're not already following him, it's elf underscore Artiaga on Twitter. It just just go look. He's just blazing a path like Sherman to the ocean. <laughs> through our fans' <laughs> mentions, through our content creators' mentions, it's it is a thing to behold. So when we talk about this game, you know, we recapped it, and I I kind of said I think that there's a lot of hand wringing going on that I don't necessarily subscribe to. I think personally there is a lot of bitching and complaining from Bills fans that listen, the game is the game, right? And some of them sound like the type of people who you know, Chris, wasn't it a thing? Uh, there was a rift in our fan base about bandwagon fans. Yeah, probably about a month ago before yeah. the season started and everyone having a big dick measuring contest. Well, if you haven't been a fan for this long, but this is where they were posting pictures of themselves like back from the drought era. Because all of a sudden you had to validate how long you've been a fan so that like, hey, if you're, you're just a bandwagoner since we got good, what you're hearing and seeing online is a lot of people who, unlike Chris and I, weren't like they weren't forged in the crucible of shitty football for 20 years like they they don't know what it is to be molded by that kind of ineptitude you guys know it that's the thing these people it's like bane and bane versus batman in the dark knight rises the first time they have their go around that's what this version of bill's fan is going up against a miami dolphins fan base that has seen every catastrophe known to man half of which they might forget came at the hands of the buffalo bills we ruined your 2021 season we ruined we did that we ruined your 2020 season. We knocked you guys out of the playoffs with our backups. Like, you had to assume that you guys would land one eventually, right? Absolutely. And and I've been telling Dolphin fans forever that, you know, they 
they kept talking all week. Well, you know, we're happy with this. We're happy with that. We're happy with, you know, the, the roster that, that we have. And, and I kept trying to tell them, this is when, when you're supposed to win games against your division rival. You've been building this team for three years. <laughs> what do you think they've been doing for three years? You know? You know, and, and, and as I was trying to explain to people, look, the last time that they beat you, your defense played all right. They looked like they looked like they had a plan. They're better now. And the offense is light years better. The gap should be a lot closer. And this game should be really, really, really close. Guess what? It was close. And they came out on top, you know. And now, uh, of course, <sighs> you know, they're acting surprised. Oh, some of them aren't. But, you know, that's that's competition in the NFL. It, it never stays static forever. You know, it was really, really an anomaly because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a historian of the game. It really wasn't an it's had this this run for 20 years. But mm-hmm. Tom Brady is that anomaly. It, you know, it's he's still going. Yeah, he's still going to be in the playoffs this year. He's still going to be a contender for the Super Bowl. I wonder how much you the know, Botox helps with that. It has to, right? <laughs> like, uh, you know, because you look back, and my God, with every passing day, Bill Belichick looks worse and worse, and it's and it's kind of obvious. It's my God, it was Tom Brady all along. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you know? it, right? And it, so it's it's one of these things where I'm looking at this matchup and the way it played out, and I'm saying to myself, you know, the message we left our fans with during our recap show this week was, guys. A whole bunch of shit didn't go our way. We made a lot of mistakes. We played some sloppy football in really pivotal moments. And at the same time, the game was still there to be had. We fucked it up. That's on us, right? It's on us. And I, Josh Allen in the post-game presser was, you know, wasn't, there was no contrition to Josh Allen. Just like I'm sure there wouldn't have been, there wouldn't have been for Dolphins fans if they had lost that game. It was more of just, hey, we beat ourselves. But the reality is, is that you guys did enough. You did, you, you did something I've never heard of before. You lost the time of possession battle twofold. 40 minutes to 20 minutes and somehow won that football game. That tells me one of those two teams fucked up. You guys made fewer mistakes. That's the thing. You didn't have to outplay us. You just had to make fewer critical errors and you did it. You pulled it off. Now, within that, because there's some things we broke down about the Bills during our recap, but there's some things I want your opinion on. When you see Tyreek Hill going in Jalen Waddle, now Waddle had a nice day. You know, he goes over 100 yards. He had that big third and 22 conversion. You're looking at Tyreek Hill and you're saying, okay, four targets, two catches, 33 yards. And he didn't get much yardage at all going against our rookie outside corners. Were you surprised at how well the young players from the Bills played? against those two guys specifically? I wasn't surprised at all because I, I had actually forecast how, you know, missing those corners wasn't going to be such a big deal, but the safeties were. Uh, I, I was saying, look, if I had my choice, I'd rather have Tredavious White and Dane Jackson out there and not have your safeties. Mm-hmm. As it turned out, we got both. But l- look what we took advantage of. Mm-hmm. We took advantage of, Tua looking off on safety, widening him out, and then having Waddle, you know, run the post against a two deep shell. So, you know, I in your system, you know, like you're gonna get Xavier uh, Xavier Rhodes right here, 
pretty soon, right? I, b- I believe he signed today. Yes, didn't he? he signed yesterday. Yeah, he's absolutely perfect for that system because the, the way you guys play, you guys play a lot of cover six, a lot of a lot of quarters, a lot of cover two shell. It's perfect. He's perfect for that because I, I heard some Dolphin fans say, "Oh, he can't run anymore." Well, look, they're never going to line him up man to man with Tyreek Hill. They're never going to do that. Nope. So, so there's it, it's nothing about you know you can't beat your chest about them signing, you know Xavier Rhodes like. You know, it's it's the the system that you guys play is is designed to not allow deep shots and not allow what we want to get to. And I give a lot of credit to Mike McDaniel. And I think this was a game where Mike McDaniel and Josh Boyer, like they were, especially Josh Boyer. Josh Boyer was on one. I sent you a video of him mm-hmm. on the side. And his game plan was at first was bad, and then all of a sudden he just said, "You know what? I'm scrapping this whole whole goddamn thing," and I'm. And I'm gonna I'm gonna start playing some of those, you know, soft coverages mm-hmm. myself. Yep. And we're just gonna try to tackle. And as I as I've tried to explain, because uh you've you've had you have to deal with, with Bills fans, you know, hemming and hawing. I had to deal with Dolphin fans hemming and hawing all week about our defense. Like this is not the defense we signed up for. This is not the defense that we're paying for with all these high priced players. And I'm trying to explain to them. Have, did you not pay attention to what happened on that game on Sunday? They got, what was it, 13 quarterback hits on Josh Allen. They got four sacks. Every time I looked up, Josh Allen was wiggling his way out of another sack and completing another short pass. We dropped legitimately four interceptions. And My favorite it, was the one that came screaming. It was that Javon Holland. It just bounces off his face mask. And I remember just being like, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, dude, my, they that was Brandon Jones. That was one of those but, moments. That was Brandon Jones. But to be fair, Brandon Jones is is infamous for that. He gets one of those a game where it bounces right off of his face mask. <laughs> Javon Holland, he Javon Holland baited a throw, a deep throw, if if you remember correctly, and he got two hands on it and completely dropped it. And of course, uh, you know, Xavier Howard dropped one in the end zone that was that hit him in both hands. And then he broke on that one right before the half when you guys had the screw up on the on the on the center exchange and it looked like Josh Allen wanted to, to clock it, but correctly, by the way, very smart. He decided to try to throw it out to uh Stephon Diggs because had he tried to clock it right there, it's conceivable that they call it a fumble. So or they call it intentional grounding because of how he bobbled the ball. And then of course Xavier Howard came screaming in to almost pick six the thing. So you know, I, I felt the Dolphins played as well as you can play defensively. You know, they just lacked a little tackling. Uh, you know, Josh Allen was just spectacular on third down, but they limited him. I thought that they did a pretty decent job. <laughs> well, they they did. I mean, 19 points is 19 points for a team that just scored 40. So I, I can't. The numbers speak for themselves. They are what they are. I mean, that's. Heat, everything. I I wouldn't make those. Ex- I wouldn't allow you to come on this podcast and make those excuses if the Dolphins lost in a snowstorm here. So I'm not going to sit here and waste your time trying to make them about heat stroke and oh, d- 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 OSHA violations. Man, shut up and play the fucking game. That's how the stadium was designed. Who cares? Kudos, kudos to them, dude. If I'm an evil billionaire, you're fucking right. You should see me. You know how to get into is civil engineering. I'll put inner loops from Rochester fucking everywhere. No one will get anywhere. It'll it'll just thin out the population by default. 
Yeah, that's right. That's what I would do if I was a billionaire and I was an art. I was an art. And if you guys saw, if you guys saw the Patriots here week one, you saw what they did. First of all, you know you can't bring your mist machines, okay, and your ice benches. You could do all those things, okay. But you could do you could do what the Patriots did. The Patriots started erecting all types of little tents on the sideline. Mm-hmm. It looked like a tent city on our sideline <laughs> inside our stadium with the Patriots because they wanted to keep cool and in the shade. And that was uh that was a. Uh, Bill Belichick's masterstroke by bringing his team over here, you know, five days early mm-hmm. was to erect little little tents on the sideline. So you could always do all, all those things, but that's the way the stadium is. It's you know, it, it, the stadium was designed that way. It works that way. You know, we just got to make it work for us a little bit better by actually running the ball and controlling the clock, and and then we could really, you know, take advantage of the way the stadium has been been built. God, I'm scrolling your Twitter right now, and it's just savage. You were, <laughs> you were just all over people. And now you got Bills fans hating Skechers. Like, look, look what you've done, Alf. So as we look at this and as we kind of wrap this up, I'm taking a look at this. You guys now are in the driver's seat of the AFC East. And I'd be remiss if I didn't just kind of – it's interesting that it came on the anniversary of the Bills – doing a very similar thing to the New England Patriots back in 2011. I was at that game. I remember crying and hugging people. I remember just, I broke up with my girlfriend at that game. It was awesome. Everything about that day was epic. And then two or three months later, it didn't matter. Two or three months later, the, they, they were handing us our teeth in a meaningless week, week 17 game. And they were en route to a division title and a Super Bowl berth. And we were kind of left asking what the fuck? Where did all this positive momentum go? How far do you think that this win gets the Miami Dolphins? And how long do you see them being able to maintain their grip on the AFC East? Uh, I, I could actually give you an exact date if you want it. Mm-hmm. Let me go look at the Dolphins schedule. You could play along if you want. Mm-hmm. If you could pull it up. Now, I don't like them Thursday night. Okay, against the Bengals, I actually picked the Bengals to win. Uh, Dolphins are walking wounded right now. That that uh, that injury report is a mile long. Yeah, you're not going to find any sympathy over here, pal. <laughs> no, no. But it was you know that's another thing that pissed me off. A lot of Bills fans were making it sound like you know we're playing a practice squad and and we were all fresh and and dandy while our team was falling apart in that game as well. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but at one point we reached into the last offensive lineman alive. To try to put them out there because hey, we lost the entire right side of our offensive line I, at my, one point my, in that game. My butthole puckered during the interception. How sad did you get when Teddy Bridgewater came out? Oh my god, I thought it was over. I thought the game was over right there. I was I, like, okay, what are we going to do now for an entire half? You're probably thinking to yourself, not again, not again. <laughs> it happened again. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater was Teddy Bridgewater was absolutely awful because as soon as he came in, I kept thinking to myself, okay. We'll just throw a bunch of screens and we'll run the ball. He throws a screen and it almost gets pick six. And I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, forget it. Like this guy is just not ready to play this game. So we're looking okay. at this. So we're looking at the schedule and we're trying to pinpoint when this comes up for grabs again. Okay, so it's pretty simple. All right, if I don't have them winning tomorrow, but if they do, they play the Jets. They play the Vikings at home. Trust me, the Vikings are not beating the Dolphins here in Miami. Okay. Then they play the Steelers in the celebration game. Dolphins, I don't know if you're aware of this, but October 23rd, the Dolphins are going to wear the throwbacks. They're going to make the entire stadium throwbacks. 
the coaches are going to wear all throwback type of gear, and it's going to be a celebration for the 50-year anniversary of the undefeated team, right? They're absolutely destroying the Steelers that day. That's when Brian Flores comes back into town, okay? Okay. Then they got the Lions, the Bears, the Jacoby Brissett-led Browns, the Texans. Are you getting the picture? Mm-hmm. Then the 49ers, which looked like it was going to be a really, really tough game. I don't know if you saw Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, wow. Uh, is that anything to get They scored 10 points. About? They, they lost 10 to 11. That's unforgivable. Then they're playing the Chargers, who by then is going to be stigmata. There's not going to be anybody left on that roster. I don't know if you saw their injury report today. They had to put Joey Bosa on injured reserve. They just put their left tackle, their all-pro left tackle, on injured yep. reserve for the entire season. And then comes the real stretch. And those are the last four games. And, you know, two of those games are the Patriots and the Jets. Okay. So we're talking about really the Bills and Packers. So all right, it's conceivable. They get past the Bengals. They could put up a massive number. Let's say that they, they drop one. Then let's say the Bills can run the table. Then that game December 18th is for the division title. It's as simple as that. Right? Wow. That's a lot what of- it looks like to me. There is a lot of confidence here, Mr. Arteaga. I can't wait for some of these predictions that you just voiced to come back and bite you in the ass. I will be here to remind you of them. (laughs) But for now, enjoy the division title. Good luck to you guys on Thursday, but not too much luck. Where can people find your work over at 3 yards per carry? Uh, You can find me on on Twitter at, uh, of course, Alf underscore Arteaga. And you can find our podcast at the number 3 yards per carry. Anywhere you get your, your podcast. Check out our Twitter account at the number three yards per carry. You know, usually we end the show and I reference everybody being a, a trio within wrestling, but I'll just focus on Alf and call him the Eugene of the Eugene Eugene of the group of podcasters that we had tonight. And if you never watched the WWF or E and knew who Eugene was, then go look him up because that's who Alf is. We appreciate him bringing his pettiness to the podcast, just as much as he appreciated our fan base helping out by selling out Hard Rock Stadium. I don't know. To me, he's like a, and this isn't to be like typecast, but he's more of an Eddie Guerrero heel type where he's like, I'm funny, but also, ah, look at me riff on you. Either way. Do you know who Eugene is? No. You're going to have to look him up to there get it. There we go. I I I love his confidence down the stretch. After we got off air, did you do that on air? Yeah, what? we ran down the schedule. Yeah, yeah, that was on. So I'm making notes because I'm petty as fuck too. Oh, do you best believe he's going to rue making such bold predictions about the Miami Dolphins? Because at the end of the day, they're still the Miami Dolphins, right? Oh, yeah. So I can't wait to watch the next month and a half of football play out for both of our franchises. But for tonight, we got to just take the L and get the hell out of here, Chris. <laughs> we got to slink away. Hopefully next week we are back in the driver's seat by way of a Dolphins loss and a Buffalo Bills win. But for tonight, we got to get the hell. Actually, I don't even think we can take it back then, can we? We'd be tied. No, it'd have to be. <sighs> well, no, it'd have to be division. Let's love the edge via division lead. Link that some shit. Well, we'll be back. We'll try this again next week. Hopefully, we've got better news for the Buffalo Bills as it pertains to their standing in the AFC East. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. 
And this has been your AFC's Roundup.